All right, so last week we started this new series called No Secret Service. And in a few weeks, we've got someone who used to be part of the CIA coming to tell us about all that God uh, taught her through her service in the CIA that she is now using in a different kind of agency, the kingdom agency of God. And so last week, we talked a little bit about what it means to be part of this not-so-secret service. That when Jesus died, and when he rose again, and when he commissioned us as his disciples in his army, he enlisted us into a movement that he longs for to change this world. And for our purposes, we're calling it the not-so-secret service because what was a secret has been revealed, right? Last week, we talked uh, about how in this not-so-secret service, we are servants of Jesus. We talked about how our message is not-so-secret. It's revealed as Christ in us, the hope of glory. We talked about how Jesus is our strategy in this great cause. I'm calling. Today I want to talk about another aspect of what it means to be in God's not-so-secret service. And I want to talk about a dress code that we've been given. You know, if you're in the spy game, there's a dress code with that. A lot of times the dress code is what everyone else is wearing. But we think of James Bond, right, and his uh, expensive suits. We, we think of uh, superheroes. Um, went to see the Avengers movie the other day. Uh, two and a half hours, and I understood about 90%, uh, 10% of what was happening. But everybody who's enlisted in that army has their dress code too, right? And it's kind of like a, I don't want to call it a costume. That's probably patronizing to those who like that kind of stuff. But a, an outfit, right? Superheroes have capes. A lot of... Churches have dress codes. You know, there are some churches that will have a coat rack as you walk in. And it's not so that you can drop off your coat. It's so that you can pick one up if you didn't bring it. Because they think that the dress code of someone who is involved in following Christ needs to have a, a suit and a tie and a jacket. I guess on the other end of the spectrum, a lot of our churches today, uh, I'm not sure they'd call it a, a uniform, but it's definitely a dress code, and it involves skinny jeans and skinny shirts and plaid shirts and all that kind of stuff. But God gives us a very clear picture of what we need to wear if we are serving Him in this not so Secret service. Let me start by sharing a quote from C.S. Lewis. I think it's brilliant and it adds some context to what I want to talk about today. He says, enemy occupied territory. That is what the world is. What is saying there is that this world that God created, that God loves, has been infiltrated by an enemy and the enemy comes to seek and to steal and to destroy and to hurt and to lose 
and to cause loss in us. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed in disguise. He's the rightful king because he was the one who created it. But he didn't come in the military uniform that everybody wanted him to come in, right? He came in disguise. There's a little baby in a manger who died a sinner's death on the cross. And he's calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. And as those who are in God's not-so-secret army service, one of our roles is to sabotage the enemy. Because the enemy wants to cause hurt, and our God wants to bring healing, the enemy wants to destroy, and our God wants to fix. The enemy wants to steal. Our God wants to give. Enemy-occupied territory, that is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Amen? It doesn't take long once we start a relationship with God to realize that following God is not a playground but a battleground. We're involved in a battle, but we're not involved in it alone because God promises to walk with us. Not so secret service. We have a dress code. It's found in Ephesians 6. If you have your Bible, your phone, your tablet, whatever you use to digest Scripture, find Ephesians 6. And we're going to start studying at verse 10. Before we get into this dress code, this armor that God gives us, Paul is very clear, though, that we understand who our enemy is. This is what he says as he's wrapping up this letter to the church in Ephesus. He says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. You notice that the name devil there is not capitalized because devil is not really a name, it's an action. Devil actually means accuser. We, we sometimes call him Satan, which again isn't a name, it's an action. It means um, adversary. Paul is saying that you are facing an adversary, an accuser who wants to bring you down. He's saying this adversary, this accuser, is actually stronger than you are. But because of that, we need to stay strong in the Lord. If we stay strong in the Lord, we win. If we don't, we lose. And then Paul says something very interesting. He says, for we are fighting not against flesh and blood enemies, 
but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. This culture that Paul was writing to was a lot more spiritual, perhaps than the one that we live in. They believed that demons and uh, enemies and evil spirits kind of were all over the place. But it would be foolish of us to put these words into that cultural context and ignore them because there is a theological truth to what's happening here. The enemy that we fight does exist in the evil realms, in the unseen world, in dark places. And one of the things that this tells us is that there are a lot of people who we consider enemies that shouldn't actually be our enemy because they are just victims of the enemy. Does that make sense? We have this tendency to quickly pit people against us and say that they are our enemy. I think I've told you and Honestly, I'll get hundreds of sermon stories out of it, of how a couple of weeks ago I sat down with a gentleman who believes very, very different from I do, what we do. He, he believes so differently to the point that he was prepared uh, to have a lawyer draw up some papers against me and against our church and against the organizations that we work with and try to serve. And I remember... When I got those letters in the midst of that, I was convinced that this guy was my enemy. And because he was my enemy, there were two things that I wanted to do. Either I wanted to fight him or I wanted to distance myself as much as I could from him so that, that he didn't bother us. He was in my mind, in my heart, my enemy until I met him, until I realized that even though we believe very differently, he himself is a really, really nice guy. But the differences that we had were not because he was my enemy, just that he was a victim, like all of us are, of a bigger enemy. We make enemies who people, of people who believe differently from us. We make enemies of people who say things differently. We make enemies of people who vote differently from us. And so easily, we buy this lie that those that are different from us are our enemies. But one of the things that Paul is saying here is that very often, more often than not, our enemies aren't the enemy. Our enemies are victims of a greater enemy. Does that, that, that make sense? And understanding that helps us to love our enemy. If, if Alan is my enemy, I either want to beat him up, which I probably couldn't do, <laughs> So we run away. But if I see Alan as a, 
as a victim of the real enemy? A third option comes into play, one of love and compassion and care. Does that make sense? So so I just just want to remind you, before we get into this, this dress code, where Paul talks a lot about the enemy, our enemy is very rarely the person we think is the enemy. They are just victims of a greater enemy. And our response is to love them and to care for them. In terms of this metaphor of dressing appropriately, there are a lot of people that we hate who are just wearing ugly costumes. Does that make sense? Because the enemy is not who they are. They're just victims of a real enemy that is the devil. Paul says we we don't fight against flesh and blood. He's saying people aren't our enemy. Our enemy are the powers and the principalities that are manipulating, uh, ruining, destroying, accusing all of us. So in all this talk of addressing our enemies, of fighting the battle, people aren't our enemies. We're often just victims of the enemy. And we don't shoot our wounded. We love and we care for and we have compassion on victims, right? I don't know if you've been following this North Korea, South Korea thing. Again, I want to be wise, but what's happening is nothing short of amazing. That two sworn enemies for a number of years could have a conversation. Someone's realizing that the enemy is not a person, but something behind the person. We love people. Our enemy is often not our enemy, just a victim of the real enemy. But anyway, as an aside, Paul's setting it up. And he talks about the dress code that we need to wear. This is what he said. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. few thoughts there. Put on every piece of God's armor. As we list these five things that he talks about, realize it's all of them because if we're not wearing one of them, there's a kink in the armor and the enemy knows how to exploit that. He says you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, just to talk about the time of evil. That's not some great difficult day in the future. As Paul's talking, he's saying the time of evil is now because bad stuff is happening. And the enemy, our real enemy, is working with great power and great force in this world and in our lives. And we see it and we feel it. And then he lists these five things. These five items of clothing, if you will, that we need to wear It's part of God's not-so-secret service. As he's writing, he's writing in uh, prison. And it's quite likely that standing next to him is a Roman centurion. So as he's writing this very vivid picture of what we need to wear, 
He's glancing out the corner of his eye and seeing someone wear this stuff in real life. So stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth. The first dress code that, part of the dress code that we got to wear if we're going to be in this not-so-secret service is a belt. A belt of truth. The belt holds everything together. If we don't have a belt, forgive me, our pants fall down and we become very vulnerable. What protects us from the vulnerabilities that our enemy likes to exploit is truth. The first thing that Paul is saying is if you want to stand against the one who spreads lies, you need to be living in the truth. We've created in our world a culture where truth has become relative. And man, the devil has a heyday in that setting. We've created in the last few years, perhaps with greater depths and extremes than ever before, this thing called fake news, where nobody knows what's true anymore, where we see something and we need to check it out, and we need to check out what we're checking out, and we need to check out what we're checking out, because truth has become this subjective, relative term. Paul says, the first thing you got to put on is this belt of truth. What is the truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. If we want to know truth, we see what Jesus is doing. If we want to know truth, we read what Jesus did. If we want to know truth, we follow Jesus. The first thing that we wear, Paul says, is this belt of truth. He says, next, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. This was the breastplate, the thing that protects our vital organs. In front of our body, uh, there's all kinds of important things necessary for our body to work, right? The breastplate protects our, our, our lungs, protects our heart. Paul is saying, you've got to put on this breastplate so that you can protect your heart. And what protects your heart is righteousness. Righteousness is just a fancy word that says, uh, do the right thing. But not just do the right thing, know the right thing and believe the right thing. The Christian message is that we, once we sin, once we disobey God, become unrighteous. We become unright. And we can't, in our own strength, make ourselves right before God. So Jesus dying on the cross takes away our unrighteousness, and him as the perfect one invites us to put on his righteousness. We put on the belt of truth 
because truth protects us against lies. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, not just internally, but externally as well. Righteousness isn't just about believing right, it's about acting right. You know, I think one of the reasons that much of the church in the world today is so powerless is because we've drawn a line between spiritual righteousness and actual righteousness. And it creates a crack. It creates a hypocrisy. And the enemy, man, knows how to work that crack and to open it up. We must be righteous spiritually, not in ourselves, but because of what Christ has done. And because of what Christ has done, we must act rightly in society. We must act rightly in our families. We must act rightly in our relationships, right? Because if we're not acting rightly, we're acting wrongly. And when we're acting wrongly, it gives the devil greater opportunity to win. So we put on the belt of truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. He says, for your shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will fully be prepared. You, you know, I, I know Dr. Shaw is only a kind of few years old relatively, but he could have had a great, great ancestor who was somehow working for the Roman government because the sandals, they were very peculiar. They were uh, made of leather because leather is very soft and they knew that the, the, the soldiers and the centurions would be standing a lot. But also underneath these sandals, they had these spikes, right? Kind of like football cleats uh, or soccer cleats. So what was that thing you told me, Doug? Oh, golf shoes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Right? And they would wear them so that they could be comfortable, yet ready to move. They were prepared to, to do their, their, their job. Paul's saying that the third thing that we need to equip ourselves with is these shoes that take peace into the world. I don't know about you, but I find our enemy, the devil, most active, and it is most cunning in my life when I'm not at peace. When something is nagging at me, when I'm frustrated by something, when somebody makes a bad call, I'm not at peace. And so Paul says, put on peace, this peace that passes all understanding. This peace that lets us know that the presence of God can be with us always. You know, we surrender that peace. We surrender all kinds of ground to the enemy. Jesus said he was leaving. I give you my peace. And so as we serve in this not-so-secret service, we must stay in right relationship with God so that this peace of God can accurately flow to us, right? Whenever we lose our peace, the devil has a heyday, but the good news is we don't have to lose our peace because Jesus is with us always. He promises us peace anywhere, everywhere, whatever we're going through. 
the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that bring peace. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. This kind of shield that he's talking about here was a smaller shield. And it was made of metal so that the arrows wouldn't go through. But on top of the, the metal was a, a damp piece of wood. And what this damp wood would do is that it would put out the flames that were on the incoming arrows, right? So, so the metal stopped the arrows going through to protect you or your, your colleague. And the damp wood puts out the flames. Paul is saying that that shield is our faith. That we put our faith in Jesus. That we trust him. That we believe his promises. And as we believe those promises, like the shield, that puts out the attacks of our enemy. Got a friend who's got some bad eyes and he's kind of gearing up for eye surgery. We had this conversation the other day and I said, well, after this surgery, you know, what percentage of your vision is going to get better? And he says, I don't know. I've asked the doctors that question and they don't know. But what my doctor tells me is that, Bob, you're going to be able to see more clearly. And again, I think sometimes God gives us promises rather than answers. And we believe those promises in faith, right? And as we hold up faith like a shield, all those doubts, all those lies, all those queries get absorbed. We have a shield of faith. We stand in truth. We wear righteousness. We walk in peace. We have the shield of faith. He says, put on the helmet of salvation. Helmet protects the head. What, what he's saying is just remember, don't ever forget the reality of what Jesus has done. Don't, don't let... The lies of the enemy get into your head and mess with the truth of your salvation. The enemy knows how to do that, right? I believe this passage is about identity. Because our identity is that we are as saved people. That we are so loved by God that we've been rescued by God. And that's what needs to define us. <clears throat> but the enemy has all these arrows, right, that tells us we're not. Or we're someone we don't want to be. Or we don't matter. Or that we need to be someone else. God says, no, no, no. Let my love define your identity. Let my salvation define how you think about yourself and put a helmet on that so that nothing pierces that. All of these are on the defensive, and then there's one more part of the dress code that he encourages us to wear. 
something that's on the offensive. He take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he saves this one to last, not because it's the best, but because I think it's the tool that helps us remember and understand all the other ones. He's saying you don't know truth unless you know the Word of God. He's saying that you don't know what righteousness is unless you read the Word of God. That you're not going to understand what salvation is and your identity is unless you read the Word of God. You're not going to be able to bring peace unless you read the peace-filling words of Scripture. I don't know if you saw it this week, that GQ magazine, I'm sure many of you read that on a regular basis. (laughs) They came out with this article of the most overrated books in history. The Bible came in at number 12. Fantastic. This is what they said. Those who have read it know that there are some good parts. And again, when he says those that have read it, suggests that he hasn't. But overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. When I read that, I thought, next time you guys call one of me undercover, I'm not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how many think of the Word of God today. I I mean, it's, it's tragic that they have to put it in print, but they're only capturing the thoughts of many today. But we read this passage, and we read that the Word of God is the key to knowing truth. It's the key to righteousness. It's the key to peace. It's the key to our salvation. Paul says if you want to dress appropriately, you've got to take this. You've got to read this. I was listening to a podcast this week about a guy who was talking about faithfulness and giving us a, a definition of faithfulness. He says faithfulness is doing the same thing in the same direction over an extended period of time. He said, you can't say you're on a diet if you've only done it for one day. He's right. He says, but, but we need to be people who are faithful in Bible reading. He said, just, re- just, just, just start with one chapter a day. It takes 30 seconds. But if you read one chapter a day of, say, the Gospels, four Gospels, it takes about three months to read. In three months, you can, you can read the whole Gospel, the whole life of Jesus, one chapter a day, 30 seconds a day. She says, once you've done that, do it again, do it again, do it again. When you've done it for a year and a year, you've read the Gospels and the life of Jesus 16 times, four times four. It's easy, but we don't do it. And the enemy stops us, and we miss out on so much, and we become the people that GQ tells us we are, right? Part of what we need to be dressed with is this. Because once we have this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, then we can understand truth that we wear. We can understand righteousness. We can understand peace. We can understand salvation. 
Let me wrap up by saying this. Our enemies aren't our enemies. Our enemies are often just victims of the enemy. But we're not to threat so much about what the enemy does. We got to take care of ourselves. And so each day we need to put on truth. We need to live righteously under the righteousness of Christ. We need to walk in shoes that bring peace everywhere they go. And we need to protect our mind and our identity, understanding that we are saved because we are loved by Jesus Christ. We need to commit to reading the word. There's one other thing, just in closing, that I think Paul has encouraged us to do. We get this uniform that we wear. There are a lot of people wearing ugly costumes, but we wear our uniform and we help them put on the uniform too. He says one thing, and again, maybe I'm stretching it and trying to understand this point, but I think he's saying you got to stay connected to the tailor. Stay connected to the one who has cut this suit for you. Stay connected to the one who knows your measurements. Who has built this? This is where he says, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan. Verse 18, sorry, going back. Pray in the spirit on all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers. He's saying, pray, 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 pray. This not so secret service this battle that we're invited into can only be won in his strength. He that is in us, Jesus, is greater than he that is in the world. As we're living out on this earth, we don't win unless we stay in constant contact with our heavenly headquarters, right? So we're all in the not-so-secret service. And there's a dress code that comes with it. So wear truth in a world of lies. Wear the breastplate of righteousness in a world of wrongs. Wear the shoes of peace in a warring world. Wear the salvation that Jesus has won for you as a helmet that protects your mind in a world that is vying for your identity. But make sure you got God's word and it's open because that is what shapes the rest of what we wear and the rest of who we are.